11. News cost in men and money to Italy. Italy would be justified in acting in precisely the same manner now toward Austria-Hungary. From Sicolo, September 3, 1914, during the last few days we have assisted at a deplorable example of our Latin impression ability. The first German victories have made Italians waver, and Germany is taking advantage of the popular nervousness, and is working on public opinion in countless ways. Italy is invaded by Germans, who assert that Germany will issue victorious, and that her commercial and industrial activity will not be arrested. We are inundated with German letters, telegrams, newspapers, and private communications from German commercial houses, all asserting that Germany will win, and that Italy should keep neutral, to be on the winning side. We are not of that opinion. We cannot lose sight of England. Germany knows that England represents her great final danger. Hence the bitterness with which she speaks of England in all the above communications. England is not playing a game of bluff. She is not impotent by land, as Germany says, and may give Germany a mortal blow by sea. The war may possibly end in a titanic duel between England and Germany. In this case England will go through with the struggle calmly and grimly, smiling at difficulties and disregarding losses. From the Corriere d'Italia, September 17, 1914. We do not know what Italy will do tomorrow, but we are of opinion that, in face of all eventualities, it is the elementary duty of patriotism not to trouble the calm expectancy of public opinion and not to mar the task of the government. Already difficult enough, from the Messagro, September 18, 1914, the Italian nation is beginning to ask itself whether it ought to remain until the conclusion of peace in an attitude of resignation. It is necessary for us with clear vision to take our place in the fighting line, while the destinies of a new Europe are being decided on the battlefields of Champagne, Belgium, Galicia, and Hungary the government is assuming a grave responsibility before the country in deciding to be disinterested in the struggle. The keen popular awakening which is manifested in demonstrations, meetings, and public discussions shows that growing preoccupation and varied uneasiness will not cease so long as the fate of the country is not decided at the right time by men who by temperament are best fitted to be interpreters of the soul and the interests of the nation. From the Corriere della Sera, October 4, 1914, many who now invoke a war of liberation complained at the beginning of August that Italy had not helped her allies. The declaration of neutrality then seemed the greatest act of wisdom performed by Italy for many years. Now, however, we must think of the future. Let us remember that the powers will only support our wishes when they have need of us. Gratitude and sympathy are mere phrases when the map of Europe is being redrawn. If Italy desire to safeguard her interests in the Adriatic she cannot postpone her decision till the last moment. Italy is isolated, the Triple Alliance Treaty cannot defend her even if it be still in force. Italy and Austria, as Count Niagara and Prince Below said, must be allies or enemies. Can they remain allies after what has happened? Italy's armed, alert neutrality. From the idea Nazionale, December 3, 1914, the day on which Italy will undertake to realize those aspirations she will find full and unconditional support. Great Britain is favorable to Italy gaining supremacy in the Adriatic, which is so necessary to her existence. If Great Britain needs Italy's support in Africa it will be only a matter of one or two army corps, and such an expedition while having a great moral and political importance, would not diminish Italian military power in Europe. From the Avanti, December 4, 1914, Premier Salandra's speech was Jesuitical. It contents the jingoes by certain dubious phrases, 
while discontenting the clerical and conservative neutrals. From the Corriere Dilia, December 4, 1914, this much applauded word, aspirations, was not in Signor Salandra's speech meant to refer to any particular belligerent, and the cabinet consequently has no program. From the Stampa, December 5, 1914, Austria, before the war, disclaimed any intention of occupying Serbia, and her declaration cannot be disregarded by Italy, whose relations with Austria have been always conditional on the maintenance of the Balkan status quo, which Austria now threatens to alter. The Italian government cannot ignore this condition, especially as during the Libyan war Austria menaced Italy, unless she desisted from bombarding the Albanian coast. Thus the Serbian situation may constitute a new factor. From the Corriere della Sera, January 31, 1915, Italy's true policy is to come to a friendly agreement with the Slavs, which will guarantee their mutual interests. Italy wants a national settlement in the Balkan Peninsula, independent of the great powers. In no circumstances can Italy bind her allot to Austria-Hungary's policy, British protectorate over Egypt, from the idea Nazionale, December 19, 1914, the British government's act nearly sanctions a situation already existing in fact since 1882. In our governing circle it is not thought that the change of regime in Egypt will occasion, at least for the time being, any great modifications in public law in relation to the international statutes regulating the position of foreigners in Egypt. From the Tribuna, December 20, 1914, the Mediterranean Agreement, in which Italy, too, has taken part, implicitly recognized the actual status England had acquired in Egypt. Now the war has demonstrated the judicial incongruity of a Turkish province in which and for which the English had to carry out warlike operations against Turkey. The protectorate already existed in substance, and Great Britain might now even have proclaimed annexation. From the Journal Dilia, December 19, 1914, Great Britain had for some months been preparing this event, which legally regulates a situation which has existed in fact. The present situation has been brought about without any disturbance, like everything that England does, in silence, neatly and without disturbing anyone. Nobody can be astonished at Great Britain's declaration of a protectorate over Egypt. The Dardanelles, from the Journal Dilia, March 7, 1915, it will be extremely difficult for Italy longer to remain neutral. The attack by the Allied fleet on the Dardanelles has brought up three great problems affecting Italian interests. The first of these problems is the new rule to allow Russia access to the Mediterranean through the Dardanelles, the second concerns the equilibrium of the Balkans and the third the partition of Asiatic Turkey, which affects the equilibrium of the Eastern Mediterranean. It is impossible for Italy to keep out of the solution of such problems unless she be satisfied to see not only the powers of the Triple Entente settle these affairs according to their interests, but also the small but audacious and resolute nation, Greece, from the Messagro, March 17, 1915. The session of the Trentino would be valueless if it implied the abandonment of Italian aspirations in Venetia Giulia, land west of the Julian Alps, in the Adriatic, and in Asia Minor, and submission to German policy. We cannot obtain by neutrality the territory we want, nor, if we renew the Triple Alliance, can we make an agreement with Great Britain for our security in the Mediterranean. Von Buellodabu's work and plea for intervention, from the Corriere della Sera, February 8th. 1915, happily our aspirations in the Adriatic, 
Our interests in the central Mediterranean and in northern Africa coincide admirably with the policy which it is easiest for us to pursue, unless we profit with the utmost prudence, with the greatest circumspection, by the present rare opportunity which history offers us to set the finishing touches to our unification, to render our land and sea frontiers immeasurably more secure than they are, to harmonize our foreign with our domestic policy. We shall experience after the close of the war the darkest and most difficult days of our existence. The crisis through which we are passing is the gravest we have yet encountered. Let us make it a crisis of growth, not a symptom of irreparable senile decay. From the Stampa, March 15, 1915, there is surely no possibility of an Austro-Italian war without German intervention. If Italy attacks Austria, Germany will attack Italy, nor will Austria make concessions. For Austria like Turkey, never changes her system, even when wrong, from the Journal d'Italia, March 19, 1915, Italy either can obtain peacefully immediate and certain satisfaction of her sacred aspirations, together with the protection of her great and complex interests, or she can have recourse to the supreme test of arms, it is absurd to think that Italy, after seven months of preparation, when she is in an especially advantageous diplomatic and military position, will be satisfied with the biblical mess of pottage or less near promises. However negotiations go the great national interests must be protected at any costs. This is the firm will of the country and the duty of the government. For fifty years Italy has made great sacrifices to the unelement of peace in Europe. The equilibrium and peace of the continent were broken through the fault of others against Italy's desire and without consulting her. Others had the responsibility for the present terrible crisis but Italy would be unworthy if she did not issue with honor and advantage from the conflict. Greece, Romania, and Bulgaria are awaiting Italy's move and will follow suit. Thus Italian influence is great at this moment, which must be seized, as it is in her power to contribute to the formation of a new international combination. Some ruses de Giuiarari, by A.N.W.A.K.M.A.N., respectfully submitted to the British government. Great Churchill's plan to fool the foe is simple and unique you only take a neutral flag and hoist it at your peak, thereby a ship with funnels for looks just like one with two, because the pattern has been changed on her red, white, and blue, now, cannot you improve on this, and so protect your towns, as well as all your gallant ships at anchor in the Downs, Old London, with the stars and stripes, might well pass for New York, and Baltimore for Maryland instead of County Cork. To mouth of Thames and Ori just add four letters more, then hoist the Danish ensign, and, behold, tease Elsinore, and Paris will be Washington if, on the Eiffel Tower, they raise the flag of USA a well-known neutral power, your sailors might wear leghorn hats, and out upon the blue, they'd look like sons of Italy, that present neutral, too, and, if upon your kin the Hun would try to work some ill, with pickle hub on his head he'd pass for Uncle Bill. The European war as seen by cartoonists German cartoon The Fatal Moment in America illustration, from Simplicis Amuse, Munich. Citizens of America, protect your existence and your honor by the force of arms. Sorry, but just now we happen to be sold out. English cartoon Top Dog England's Splendid Isolation, The Sultan, Over the Water, illustration, from Punch, London, MEHMV to Constantinople, I don't want to leave you, but I think I ought to go. German cartoon Churchill's flag swindle illustration, from Simplicis Amuse, Munich. Really I don't care to go out any more in these disgraceful rags. Cheer up, Mrs. Britannia, just steal something better. 
German cartoon may got punish England. Illustration, reproduction of a cover design of a widely advertised issue of Simplicissimus, the German comic weekly published in Munich. The legend at the top reads, May God punish England. Italian cartoon speeches of the Kaiser in 1915 illustration, from Lucino, Rome, January, I alone will defeat the world. March, naturally, with God's help. June, all goes badly the fault is not mine. December, the fault is his. English cartoon our embarrassing cousin illustration, from the bystander, London, Jonathan, in spite of my neutrality, John, do you notice how fectionate I am, how I sympathize with your, John Bull, Emmys, that's all right, but I should like it better just now if you'd leave my hands a bit freer to fight those rascals as they deserve, German cartoon John Bull at the costumer's illustration, from Simplicissimus, Munich. What costume shall I choose so that none will recognize me? Why don't you go as a gentleman? English cartoon William O. The Wisp American Neutrality What the War Office has to put up with German cartoon VA Bank. The Final Earthquake in Germany Illustration, from Lucino, Rome. By the grace of God and the will of the nation, the falling columns are marked, feudalism and militarism. German cartoon from the English Eating House Illustration, from Lustige Blader, Berlin. England utilizes the refuse of her domestic establishment as cannon fodder. English cartoon The Breadwinner Italy's Neutrality Illustration, from Lucino, Rome. Every day the dance becomes more difficult. The dancer is the German ambassador. Von Below. English cartoon Busy Packing Illustration, from The Bystander, London. Sultan M.E.H.M. Am I there? I should rather think I am. We're being moved, you know. And the hammering outside is something too awful. His ISLA and my see majesty H-A-D-J-I-G-U-I-L-L-I-O-U-N, Kuzmet, my boy, Kuzmet, besides, I feel sure you'll be awfully pleased with Asia Minor so quiet, we Muslims always feel so at home there, too, the English preface their telephone conversations with, are you there, instead of, hello, German cartoon in the cause of culture illustration, from Simplicissimus, Munich. Papa has gone away to Europe to protect the nice Englishman from the savages. If you are very good, perhaps he will bring you back a nice German beefsteak. English cartoon Queen Elizabeth in the Dardanelles illustration, from Punch, London. The reference is to the huge British dreadnought that bears the name of England's famous queen. French cartoon The Sick Man at Home illustration, from Marire, Paris. The camel with two humps. The original title was Alcamo du Bosches. In French slang of German is a Basha. German cartoon, The Cripple Entente, Beware of the John Bulldog. Illustration, from Marire, Paris. Go lie down. Contemptible little England. What I get my teeth into I hang onto. German cartoon, The Great Question. Illustration, from Lustige Blader, Berlin. If I remain neutral, will you remain neutral? If you were neutral, would he be neutral? If he is neutral then we will remain neutral. If we remain neutral. Will they remain neutral? And you also. Neutral? Shall you remain neutral? Facsimile of a Belgian bread check illustration, the card is in French and Flemish. The face reads, number 6.715. Gratis. City of Brussels. Department of Public Supplies. Committee number 1. Street. Card issued to the family. Living at. For the daily delivery of portions. To be presented at street. And the vittles will be delivered only to the father or mother of a family. The reverse side bears stamps showing the dates on which rations were issued to the holder. The original is somewhat larger than this reproduction. To a German apologist by Beatrice Barry. 
you may seek and find if you will, perchance, excuses for your attack on France, and perhaps twill not be so hard to show why England finds you her deadly foe, there are reasons old and reasons new for feelings hard twixt the Russ and you, but talk as you may till the judgment day, you cannot ever explain away Belgium, you have used both speech and the printed word to have your side of the story heard, we have listened long, we have listened well to everything that you had to tell, we would fain be fair, but it seems as though you can't explain what we wish to know, and when lesser points have been cleared away, you are sure to fail us when we say, Belgium, you may rant and talk about British gold, and opinions that are bought and sold, but facts, no matter how hard to face, are facts, and the horrors taking place in that little land, pledged to honor's creed, make your cause a luckless one to plead, there are two sides, true, but when both are heard, our sad hearts echo a single word, Belgium, we are not misled by the savage tales an invading army never fails to have told of it, there are false and true, and we want to render you your due, but our hearts go out to that ravished land where a few grim heroes make their stand, and our ears hear faintly, from overseas, the wailing cry of those refugees, Belgium, 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 America's Neutrality by Count Albert Aponi from the New York Times, March 28, 1915. The letter which follows was sent by Count Albert Aponi to Dr. Nicholas Murray Butler, and was written in the latter part of last month in Budapest. Count Aponi, who was one of the most distinguished of contemporary European statesmen, was president of the Hungarian Parliament from 1872 to 1904. He was formerly Minister of Public Instruction, Privy Councillor, member of the Permanent Court of Arbitration at The Hague, and member of the Interparliamentary Union. I have been greatly interested in your account of American neutrality in the present European crisis. I must confess that I had seen it in a somewhat different light before and that some of the facts under our notice still appear to me as hardly concordant with the magnificent attitude of impartiality, nay, not even with the international duties of neutrality, which intellectual and official America professes to keep. We cannot explain to ourselves that a neutral power should suffer the selling of arms and ammunition by its citizens to one of the belligerent parties, when no such selling to the other party is practically feasible, we cannot understand why America should meekly submit to the dictates of England, declaring all foodstuffs and manufacturing materials contraband of war, with not even a show of right and with the clear and openly proclaimed intention of starving Germany and Austria-Hungary, why, on the other hand, America should use an almost threatening language against Germany, and against Germany alone, when the latter country announces reprisals against the English trade, which, under given circumstances, can be considered only as acts of legitimate self-defense against an enemy who chooses to wage war not on our soldiers only, but on our women and children, too. With all the respect we feel for the United States, we cannot find this attitude of their government either fair or dignified. I offer these remarks in no spirit of uncalled-for criticism, but because I see how much the moral authority of the United States and their splendid situation as the providential peacemakers of some future, alas, still far-off day has been impaired by the aforementioned proceedings, we cannot help considering them as so many acts of ill-disguised hostility against ourselves and of compliance with our foes. How can you expect, then? to have your good offices accepted with confidence by both belligerent parties when the times are ripe for them, it seems like the throwing away of a magnificent opportunity, and I think that those who, like yourself, cherish for your country the noble ambition of being someday the restorer of peace, 
should exert themselves to prevent practices which, if continued, would disable her to play any such part. In your letter you strike the keynote of what I cannot help considering the partiality of Americans for the Entente powers. It is the idea that, in the western area of conflict, at least, there is an armed clash between the representatives of dynastic institutions and bureaucratic rule on the one hand with those of representative government and liberal institutions on the other. I can understand that it impresses some people that way, but I beg to enter a protest against this interpretation of the conflict. Liberal or less liberal institutions have nothing to do with it in the West. The progress of democracy in Germany will not be stopped by her victory. It will rather be promoted by it, because the masses are conscious of bearing the burden of war and of being the main force of its vigorous prosecution, and they are enlightened and strong enough to insist on a proper reward. Rights cannot be denied to those who fulfill duties involving self-sacrifice of the sublimest kind with unflinching devotion. No practical interest of democracy then is involved in the conflict of the Western powers, as to their representing liberal institutions in a higher or lower degree. I am perfectly willing to admit England's superior claims in that respect, but I am not at all inclined to recognize such superiority in modern France, republic though she calls herself. The omnipresence and omnipotence of an obtruding bureaucratic officialism is just what it has been under the old monarchy, religious oppression has only changed sides, but it still flourishes as before. In former times the Roman Catholic religion was considered as a state religion and in her name were dissent and Freemasonry oppressed, today atheism is the official creed, and on its behalf are Catholic believers oppressed. Separation of church and state, honestly planned and loyally fulfilled in America has been perverted in modern France into a network of vexations and unfair measures against the church and her faithful servants, the same term is used and this misleads you to cover widely different meanings. In a word, it is a perfect mistake to consider modern France as the sweet land of liberty, which America is, a German citizen, with less show of political rights, enjoys more personal freedom than is granted to a French one, if he happens to differ from the ruling mentality. So stand things in the western area of conflict. But how about the east? You are kind enough to admit in your letter that, from this the aforementioned standpoint of course the appearance of Russia among the Allies is an anomaly and must be explained on other grounds. Anomaly is a rather tame word to characterize the meaning of this appearance of Russia. I should hardly designate it by this term. She does not appear among the Allies. She is the leading power among them. It is her war. As Mr. Tsvolsky, the Russian ambassador to Paris, very properly remarked, Siest Mager, she planned it. She gave Austria-Hungary no chance to live on peaceful terms with her neighbors. She forced it upon us. She drew France into it by offering her a bait which that poor country could not resist. She created the situation which England considered as her best opportunity for crushing Germany. I must repeat it over and over again, it is in its origin a Russian war, with a clearly outlined Russian program of conquest. Here, then, you had a real clash between two principles, not shades of principles as these may subsist between Germany and her western foes but principles in all their essential features, not between different tints of gray, but between black and white, between affirmation and negation, affirmation of the principle of human dignity, liberty, safety, and negation of the same, western evolution and eastern reaction. I wonder why those prominent Americans who are so deeply impressed by the comparatively slight shades of liberalism differentiating Germany from England and France are not struck by the absolute contrast existing between Muscovitism and Western civilized rule as represented by Austria-Hungary and Germany, that they overlook the outstanding, 
fact that while in the Western area the conflict has nothing whatever to do with the principles embodied in the home policy of the belligerents, in the East, on the other hand, these principles will in truth be affected by the results of war, since a Russian victory, followed by a Russian conquest, would mean the retrogression of Western institutions and the corresponding expansion of Eastern ones over a large area and large numbers of men. It is the consciousness of fighting in this war which has been forced upon us, against the direst calamity threatening our kind and on behalf of the most precious conquests of progress and civilization, which enhances our moral force so as to make it unconquerable. The hope which I expressed in my first letter, that Serbia's doom would soon be fulfilled, has been prostrate by the mistakes of an overconfident commander-in-chief, but that means postponement only and does not alter the prospects of war in their essentials. Good progress is achieved in the campaign against Russia, a chapter of it may be brought to a happy close before long. The spirit of the country shows no symptom of weakening, it is really wonderful what a firm resolve pervades our whole people. Though every man between 20 and 42 stands in the field, and though the losses are frightful, economically we hold out easily, the expenses of war are defrayed by inner loans, which give unexpected results, every bit of arable land is tilled as in time of peace. The old, the women and the half-grown youths doing the work of their absent supporters, neighbors assisting each other in a spirit of brotherhood truly admirable. In cases of urgent need we have the prisoners of war whose number increased to nearly 300.000 in Austria-Hungary alone and to whom it is a real boon to find employment in the sort of work they are accustomed to. The manufacturing interest, of course, suffers severe losses, but the number of the unemployed is rather less than usual, since a greater part of the hands is absorbed by the army. In a word, though the sufferings of war are keenly felt, they are less severe than had been expected, and there is not the smallest indication of a breakdown. The area of Germany, Austria, and Hungary taken as a whole is self-supporting with regard to foodstuffs. The English scheme of starving us is quite as silly as it is abominable. England can, of course, inflict severe losses on our manufacturers by closing the seas against their imports and exports, but this is not a matter of life and death, such as the first reprisals of Germany, if successful, may prove to England, generally speaking. It seems likely that England will be caught in the net of her own intrigue. She did not scruple to enlist the services of Japan against her white enemies. But this act of treachery will be revenged upon herself. The latest proceedings of Japan against China can have one meaning only the wholesale expulsion of the white man from Eastern Asia. The Japs do not care one straw who wins in Europe. They seized upon their own opportunity for their own purposes. England only gets her deserts. But how do Americans feel about it? Can America be absolved from a certain amount of responsibility for what may soon prove imminent danger to herself? Has not her partiality for England given encouragement to methods of warfare unprecedented in the history of civilized nations and fruitful of evil consequences to neutral nations? To us, in our continental position, all this means much less than it means to you. It does not endanger our prospects. We feel comparatively stronger every day. Our losses, though enormous are only one half of those of the Entente armies. According to the Geneva Red Cross Bureau's calculation, the astounding number of unwounded prisoners of war which Russia loses at every encounter, and even in spaces of time between two encounters, shows that the moral force of her army is slowly giving way, while the vigor of our troops is constantly increasing. After six months of severe fighting our military position is certainly stronger than the position of the Entente powers. 
though the latter represent a population of area code 250000000, English colonies and Japan not included, against the area code 140000000 of Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Turkey, who can doubt on which side superior moral power fights, who can doubt, therefore, what the ultimate result promises to be. If it takes more time to bring matters to a decision and a decision must be obtained at any price, if there is to follow a period of permanent peace part, at least, of the responsibility for the horrors of the protracted war, for the slaughter of many hundred thousands more of human beings, rests on America, but for the American transports of guns and ammunition, the power of Russia would give way in a shorter time considering her enormous losses in that respect and her inability to supplement them from her own workshops. It is very edifying that American pacifists are exerting themselves against the current of militarism which appears to spread in their country, but wouldn't it be better still, more to the purpose and certainly practically more urgent, to insist upon a truly neutral attitude of the great republic, to protest against her feeding the war by providing one belligerent side with its implements, do American pacifists really fail to see that their country by such proceedings disables herself from being the peacemaker of the future? Do they think it immaterial from the standpoint of her moral power, as well as of her material interests? How Central Europe, a massive area code 120000000, think of her, feel about her? I hope my readers will not find fault with me for using such plain language. My well-known enthusiastic regard for the great American Commonwealth makes it unnecessary that I should protest against the charge of meaning disrespect or anything else whatever but a sincere desire to state with absolute sincerity how we feel about these matters, in what light they appear to us. I think America must know this, because it is part of the general situation she has to reckon with when shaping her policies. I fervently hope these policies will remain in concordance with the great principles on which the Commonwealth is built and with the teaching embodied in that farewell address which is read once a year in Congress and in which the greatest American emphatically warns his countrymen from becoming entangled in the conflicts of European nations. A few words more about the future of Europe may be said on this occasion. I have read with the keenest interest your own and Mr. Carnegie's statements concerning a future organization of Europe on the pattern of the United States. My personal views concerning this magnificent idea have been expressed.